time once again for the Bama Online Podcast. This one, a Sunday morning coming down edition of the program. February the 6th, 2022 to be exact. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com. Back with you here on the program. We got a lot to get into on this Sunday morning. We're going to talk some Alabama football. We're going to talk some Alabama men's hoops. Tough 0-2 week for Nate Oates' team following Saturday night's 66-55 loss to fifth-ranked Kentucky at Coleman Coliseum. What's next for Alabama basketball? Well, we're going to talk about what happened Saturday night, first and foremost, before we delve into some of that. And we'll also continue our series, our ongoing series here on the Bama Online Podcast, where we rank the position rooms for Nick Saban's six national championship teams to date at the University of Alabama. We have done inside linebacker rooms. We've done quarterback rooms. We've done running back rooms in previous episodes of the podcast. Today, we'll take a look at safeties, safety rooms for national championship teams under Nick Saban. Hope everybody is coming off a pretty good week here. It was kind of tough for yours truly, as you heard on the podcast midweek last week, dealing with some issues health-wise. Maybe you can still pick up some of that from the sound here. But uh, work through it. Work through it. Took some precautionary measures in advance that I think proved extremely beneficial. Really only had one down, down day, and that was right in the middle of last week. Otherwise, we pushed through probably as much as anything a tough week because if you've ever experienced the loss of a pet, you know what I'm about to say. Uh, It's a hurt, unlike just about any other you experience in your lifetime. We've been dealing with that, our beloved Pomeranian of 14 and a half years, King Fu Ryer, has passed on. Man, what a blessing Fu was to our family and will continue to be. And I know I hear a lot of people talk about how a pet is like a family member. No, 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 no. If you've had a pet like Fu, you know exactly what I'm talking They are family members. They certainly were to ours. We brought Fu in at a time where our three children were 10, 8, and 4, somewhere in that neighborhood. So you think about the fact that they're 25, 24-ish, and 20 now, that tells you the lifespan that he occupied for those kids. And that makes it even tougher. But we're very appreciative of the time we had with Fu. And uh, man, just a, you talk about a very good boy. That was King Fu Ryer. Let's get into some more positive updates here on the podcast. And we'll get going with continuing news involving Nick Saban's coaching staff. Per ESPN late in the week and later confirmed by us at BamaOnline.com, Charlotte assistant coach Joe Cox in as Alabama's new tight ends coach. Alabama's third tight ends coach in a year's time, as you recall, Jay Graham came on board about this time a year ago. Jay Graham, shortly thereafter, left the program. Drew Svoboda came in to assume the tight end position and coordination of Alabama's special teams. And for the remainder of the calendar year, Drew Svoboda held those roles. And Joe Cox, a Mike Bobo disciple of sorts, if I had to describe him, having played under Bobo at Georgia as a quarterback before serving on Bobo's staff 
at Colorado State, first as a grad assistant and then as an on-the-field assistant coach, and then following Mike to South Carolina for a season in 2020, Devers coach at South Carolina in Will Muschamp's final year in Columbia a couple of seasons ago. So in addition to tight ends in the background for Joe Cox, he has worked with wide receivers. Obviously, he has a background with quarterbacks. So a lot of versatility for a guy who just turned 35 in late November. As far as the potential for continued movement where this Alabama staff is concerned, I think we all understand that as long as the offensive coordinator position with the New England Patriots is open, Bill O'Brien is going to be mentioned in connection with the job. Of course, the background, the history with Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots makes Bill O'Brien a sensible candidate. That being said, does there really need to be a sense of urgency on Bill O'Brien's behalf to get right back to the National Football League? If he has the opportunity to go back to Alabama, work once again with a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, and wait it out until the 2023 cycle when more head coaching opportunities might be available to him. This last time around, as we know, he interviewed with the Jacksonville Jaguars for that spot. It has since been filled by former Philadelphia Eagles head coach Doug Peterson. He's in a great spot, really, other than the fact that his relationship with Doug Marone is close enough that maybe that could factor into thought given to moving on from Alabama but just in terms of the job he has as a quarterbacks coach as an offensive coordinator working with Bryce Young bringing in Jameer Gibbs at the running back position bringing in Jermaine Burton at the wide receiver position pretty good spot for Bill O'Brien and this is no longer an era where moves in the coaching ranks is dictated by salary or just the consideration for the overall career track Bill O'Brien's been there done that head coach at Penn State head coach with the Houston Texans he's a known commodity at the two biggest levels of football in the United States of America. So, again, he's in a pretty good spot if, in fact, he decides, you know what, I don't need to make a jump right now. All right, we've got to get into some men's hoops talk following the Crimson Tide's 11-point defeat at the hands of visiting Kentucky on Saturday night and Coleman Coliseum. And it seemed appropriate, didn't it, that just a few days after the news of a new arena being in the plans for UA hoops and gymnastics. Construction on the new venue got underway with Nate Oates' team contributing more than a few bricks in that loss to Kentucky. And so it is another 0-2 week for an Alabama team that is 5-7 in its last 12 games and and 4-6 in SEC play. And we'll recap the performance, a season-low 55 points for Alabama in the loss, by revisiting Friday's three predictions that we had for you for Alabama-Kentucky there on the website, BamaOnline.com. We'll start with our first prediction from Friday. Alabama will not outscore Kentucky in the paint by 10 or more points. In two meetings against the Wildcats a year ago, Alabama really exerted imposed its will in the paint, enjoying plus margins of 10 and 12 points, respectively, in wins over John Calipari's club 
in 2021. Of course, those were the days of Herb Jones, John Petty, and Josh Primo, and not even just because of what those guys brought on the offensive end of the floor and how they were able to attack the paint and attack the rim with regularity. Also, what they were able to do defensively and get in front of the basketball and keep opposing guards from caving in the Alabama defense and either creating their own opportunities at the rim or setting up post and other teammates for easy dunks and layups right there at point-blank range. So I'll say this, when you look at it from Saturday night, Alabama didn't win points in the paint. You didn't expect that with this Alabama team, but it hung in well enough. Uh, Kentucky plus four in terms of points in the paint. Severe Wheeler didn't have a point in the game. The Georgia transfer, uh, the outstanding guard for Kentucky. Now, Ty Ty Washington, the outstanding freshman for Kentucky, did have 15 and 32 minutes of play, but again, kind of held your own. Uh, Certainly wasn't the 30-point deficit that you encountered at Auburn midweek last week, 52-22 Auburn outscored Alabama in the paint. So that was pretty much a push, which is kind of what you would have taken if you're Alabama. And you look at the point total for Kentucky in the game, 66, and you're playing at home, you're feeling like in all likelihood, you got a great chance of getting home, getting the win over Kentucky if you keep Kentucky to 66 points. And I know You know, you're going to look at this Kentucky team in most years and say, well, length and athleticism, hard to shoot over, uh, you know, defensively going to make it tough on you. That isn't this Kentucky team. They're not especially long on the perimeter. Yes, Oscar Shibway is a force in the post, but, you know, he's not Anthony Davis when it comes to blocking shots. Uh, but Alabama did get a solid performance from Charles Bediaco, its own post player, and thankfully he gave Alabama 10 points in the first half because a 33-27 Kentucky lead after 20 minutes certainly could have been much wider given the struggles that Alabama had scoring the basketball at the guard positions and certainly when we talk about three-point range, where, as we all know, Alabama finished 3 of 30 after going 1 of 16 in the second half from beyond the arc. The second prediction we had for Alabama-Kentucky on Saturday night was that Kentucky post Shibway, excuse me, would post a double-double in the game. Shibway did that, you know, one of the favorites for National Player of the Year honors. Been outstanding. This is a guy who, coming in, had double-doubles in SEC play on six different occasions prior to Saturday night's game. And he got there again, but he wasn't a game wrecker. You know, this wasn't a 24-point, 20-rebound type game for Oscar Shibway. It was 10 points and 15 rebounds. 15 rebounds you can almost rubber stamp for Shibway on a night-in, night-out basis. But, again, it wasn't so much in the post where Alabama got beat up. Alabama actually won the battle of the boards 47-44. to Now, I think Kentucky closed that gap there in the second half, but offensive rebounds continue to be a bad news, good news, I would say, situation for the Crimson Tide. 16 offensive rebounds for Alabama. That comes off as good news, but a lot of that has to do with 
when you're throwing up 27 bricks from three, some long rebounds certainly come into play. And so you're able to benefit from some of those on the offensive end. But yeah, Shibwe was about what you would expect, probably under what you were expecting. He goes four of 13 from the field, um, four fouls. Uh, three turnovers in 28 minutes of play. So that was a stat line you could live with from Oscar Shibway if you were Alabama. Third and final prediction for Alabama in its game against Kentucky, and this is where it came up so, so short. Alabama guards will need to be Baylor good to win. Remember that performance against Baylor? It was way back, way back just a week ago. And Alabama, from its top four guards in that win over Baylor, got 64 combined points from Jaden Shackelford, Javon Quinterly, Keon Ellis, J.D. Davison. Well, that wasn't the Alabama backcourt against Kentucky. Jaden had been on a really hot streak offensively. The previous six games, he was averaging 21.5 per game. He goes 2-for-11 Saturday night against Kentucky, 0-for-7 from three, just six points for Jaden Shackelford. Quinterly, also 2-for-11 from the field, seven points, 0-for-3 for Javon, who shot at a 50% clip a year ago in SEC play. He's under 20% in SEC play one year later. Keon Ellis, just six points from the guard position, 2-of-8. He did make two of Alabama's three threes in the game going two for seven from beyond the arc. And then J.D. Davison, after being shut out in the first half on Saturday night, he does give Alabama seven points off the bench in the second half. All of Alabama's bench production. Alabama bench in the first half was scoreless. But they did answer with 21 points, uh, 18 points, excuse me, in the second half. That was the extent of Alabama's bench production in the game, Alabama's guards, again, you didn't have a, a top four guard. You didn't have a guard of any type. You didn't have a player other than Charles Bediaco in double figures. So three for 30 from three-point range. And between Shackelford, Quinterly, and Ellis, your three starting guards, you've got guys that went, well, six for 30 from the field. Then you mix in three for 10 from J.D. Davison, and it's pretty easy to see where the struggles were for Alabama in this loss to the Kentucky Wildcats. Looking ahead, an unprecedented stretch of three top five teams produces one win. And while UA can't be picky at this point where its wins come from, if there was a preference between Baylor, Auburn, and Kentucky – I'm thinking you would have gone with a win over either Auburn or Kentucky if you were going to go one and two in that stretch. Well, you would want the win to come from a conference team. I mean, they're all top five teams. So to have gotten the conference win and the top five win would have been the double bonus. And again, Alabama's net ranking still points to an NCAA tournament bid, but it needs to start winning some of these SEC games with an emphasis on some upcoming road trips. The Tide will look to get right on the road this week when it travels to Oxford to take on Ole Miss Wednesday night before hosting Arkansas in a brunch time affair next Saturday at Coleman Coliseum. These are, again, we've said it throughout SEC play, winnable games coming up. Not so much this last week, but in most weeks, that's been 
pretty much the narrative for this Alabama team. But you know what? So was Missouri. Missouri on the road was a winnable game. Georgia on the road was a winnable game. So for a team that has dropped four straight SEC road games, there's no counting Ole Miss midweek coming up as a surefire W. Back to some football talk as we continue our series of ranking position rooms for national championship teams at Alabama under Nick Saban. Today we'll get into safeties and as was the case with quarterbacks, running backs, inside linebackers in previous episodes. Not easy to differentiate between the safety position for each of these championship squads. We'll get it going, though, within the sixth spot, the 2020 group, Jordan Battle, DeMarco Hellams, Daniel Wright. Jordan Battle finished the 2020 season third on the team in tackles with 66. DeMarco Hellams was fourth with 62, and that was an ever-changing situation at the safety spot opposite Jordan Battle throughout the season. And I think you could say that even at the money position because it was Daniel Wright early in the season. Then it was DeMarco Hellams late in the season at safety. It was DeMarco Hellams early in the season at the money position in the dime. Then it was Brian Branch down the stretch. And so you had a couple of true freshmen that even though they didn't start or play as much at the safety positions, safeties by nature, Brian Branch, Malachi Moore, and they were very big at the money and star positions, respectively, in 2020. Safeties for Alabama in 2020 had eight of Alabama's 12 interceptions on the season. Battle had the pick six against Kentucky. Wright had the pick six. You talk about an up-and-down performance against the Aggies. Daniel exercised a few immediate demons in the win over A&M with a pick six in that one. Malachi Moore had a fumble return for a touchdown from the star position against Tennessee. Brian Branch had seven pass breakups in 2020. Those were third on the team. Settled in late in the season to go with a really solid quartet between the safety star in money positions with Battle, Helms, Moore, and Branch. So we'll go with 2020 there in the sixth spot as we get these rankings underway. Number five gets tough as you go down this list. I went with 2015, although I think even now I may be undervaluing that group. You had to replace Landon Collins and Nick Perry at the two primary safety positions. Geno Matthias Smith, Eddie Jackson, Ronnie Harrison is a true freshman at the money position. Now, Gino doesn't get enough love, in my opinion, as one of the better tacklers Alabama has had at safety under Nick Saban. He had 72 stops in 2015, and of that total, 51 were solo. So this isn't a guy who was jumping on piles and things like that. He had just one interception, one pass breakup, but in what was – and no other way to put it, a revelation for the football career of Eddie Jackson. The move to safety for Eddie from corner resulted in 54 tackles in 2015, six interceptions, two of those he returned for touchdowns. Eddie Jackson returned six interceptions in 2015 for 230 yards. He had two pass breakups, and he had the big interception 
of Deshaun Watson in Glendale in the national championship game in January of 2016. Ronnie Harrison is a true freshman. You saw him in there in the money and the dime, 17 tackles, two interceptions, six pass breakups. Really good group back in 2015. At number four, I went 2012 with Ha Ha Clinton Dix, Robert Lester, and also Vinny Sanceri, who you would see in there in the money. Uh, you'd also see Vinny in his time at Alabama, also at the star position. But in 2012, Robert Lester with 48 tackles, four interceptions, three pass breakups for the veteran at that point. Ha ha, Clinton Dix steps in for Mark Barron at the other safety spot in 2012. 37 total tackles, four interceptions. And haha, in each of the last three games of that 2012 season, including including the SEC championship game went over Georgia and the national championship game went over Notre Dame, he had picks. Probably remember the really, really skilled uh, and, and just tremendous pick he had against Notre Dame in South Florida. I believe it was D. Milner who had the pass breakup. I don't think it was Dion Ballou. I think it was D. Milner. And then HaHa finished it off by getting his feet or getting a foot down and recording the pick against the Irish. HaHa also had four pass breakups in 2012. You know, Vinny led the safeties in general in tackles in 2012 with 54. He had six tackles for loss, two interceptions, a fumble recovery. Nick Perry was an important part of that secondary in 2012. He actually got the start against LSU on the road in Baton Rouge and had 10 tackles against the Tigers in that comeback win, that memorable win in 2012 for Alabama. Played money in that game as well, Nick Perry did. And then you had Ha Ha come on in the dime with Vinny at star. So you had some different looks at the safety position. You also had a true freshman in 2012 by the name of Landon Collins. Helped you out on special teams primarily. Had 17 tackles back in 2012 number three I went with 2009 now I wanted to make more of a case for 2009 as the top safety room on this list and I think you can I would say this that secondary in general in 2009 still rates as my personal favorite of the Nick Saban era are right there with it it's hard for me to speak of favorite Alabama secondaries and not have Rashad Johnson in it So I think 2008, when we get to the non-championship safety rooms, is probably going to get a lot more love from me than you might anticipate. But in 2009, you had Mark Barron stepping in for Rashad Johnson, Justin Woodall back at the other spot, and then Robbie Green as a young player proved very important when Alabama went to its sub-packages with an emphasis on the dime. Of course, you had Javier Arenas at a corner, Kareem Jackson at a corner, and then you came in your nickel package because Javi would move inside. Marquise Johnson had a hell of a year in 2009 as your third corner, and I love Javier Arenas. That's been noted, documented here and elsewhere at BamaOnline.com. Javier Arenas, Mika Fitzpatrick. When you talk about star defensive backs, of the Nick Saban era, that's where the list starts for me anyway. I know there's been some guys that not so much in relation to Minka, but more so Javi 
that have gone on to bigger paychecks and longer NFL careers. But man, Javier Arenas was a damn good star defensive back in addition to a corner and obviously a kick returner as well. But Mark Barron in his first year as a starter in 2009, second on the team in tackles with 74. He was the team leader in interceptions with seven. He broke up 11 passes. You remember the game against South Carolina where Alabama was going through that stretch offensively where everything was a struggle. It got to the point offensively for Alabama where it was Mark Ingram in the Wildcat essentially won the Heisman Trophy or really sparked his run to the Heisman in 2009 in that 20-6 win over South Carolina. Well, tends to be forgotten that Mark Barron also scored in that win over South Carolina. Had the 77-yard interception return in the win. Went on to become a first-round pick, of course, Mark Barron did, of the St. Louis Rams, and recreating himself as sort of a hybrid linebacker throughout his NFL career, which was really a lot like the money position he handled at Alabama in the dime package. Justin Woodall, a Shula holdover, also at the safety position in 2009. Four-star prospect when he came out of the state of Mississippi. At the time, under Mike Shula, celebrated widely celebrated as a huge coup, a huge signee for the Mike Shula era. That was a class in 2006 that included Andre Smith, Woodall in 2009, 45 total tackles, three interceptions, five pass breakups. You know, Justin Woodall went on to a couple years in minor league baseball. He was a very good baseball prospect uh, coming out of the Oxford, Mississippi area in high school and you know that deal kind of works in reverse doesn't it where guys go from baseball to football instead of going from football to baseball but he did it a couple of seasons in the Tampa Bay Rays organization he was actually a 26th round draft pick uh, in the 2010 uh, MLB draft so uh, Justin Woodall a consistent contributor throughout his time at UA. And again, Robbie Green had 33 tackles working in that dime package primarily, six uh, tackles against Texas in the BCS National Championship game. He had an interception in the win over LSU in Tuscaloosa, finished the season with six pass breakups. Really thought Robbie Green at that point was going to be just a staple of the Alabama secondary for the next couple of seasons. Uh, of course, it did not work out that way. Robbie Green left the program shortly thereafter. Robert Lester was developing there at the safety position in 2009. Uh, would go on to a huge 2010 as a starter, as we would later learn. Number two on this list, I went 2011. That group, you're talking about Mark Barron. You're talking about Robert Lester. You're talking about Vinny Sunseri. You're talking about a young ha-ha Clinton Dix coming onto the scene Barron, one of those not so fortunate at the time, but worked out really well for Alabama scenarios that we talked about on the podcast in the past, where he had the injury against Auburn late in the 2010 season. That went a long way in Mark Barron returning for another year at UA. And boy, the Alabama defense had a couple of those guys. Dante Hightower at the linebacker position. If he doesn't have the knee injury against Arkansas in 2009, you don't see Dante Hightower in that 2011 defense. So some tough injuries earlier in their career led to some big things for the 2011 defense. Mark Barron spearheading that at the safety position. Robert Lester in 2011 
He was coming off a season in 2010 that saw him pick off eight passes in his first full season as a starter. In his second year as a starter, Robert Lester, 39 tackles, two interceptions, three pass breakups. Vinny Sanceri is a true freshman, 30 tackles. He had a pass breakup against LSU in the BCS National Championship game. Got to give some love for my guy, Will Lowry, the walk-on. Was a bigger part, probably, of the 2010 defense, but still, Will had 20 tackles and two pass breakups. The walk-on from Hoover did some really nice things for a couple of years there in the Alabama secondary. And my top safety room of the Nick Saban National Championship teams at UA might be a little bit of a surprise, but I went with 2017. Ronnie Harrison, Minka Fitzpatrick, your base starters. A couple of guys still in the National Football League. Of course, Minka, the all-pro variety at the position. Ronnie Harrison in 2017 tied for the team lead in tackles with 74. He had three interceptions, four pass breakups. Minka was amazing as we knew, but you think about it more and more in retrospect. Base safety was Minka Fitzpatrick. He was the star in the nickel, and then he played money in the dime. He finished the season with 60 tackles. He had eight tackles for loss. He had eight pass breakups, an interception. You had Hootie Jones that was a situational player for you with 53 tackles, two interceptions, two pass breakups. And Deontay Thompson came up big because Hootie wasn't able to go against Georgia in the 2018 college football playoff national championship game against Georgia. So Deontay Thompson steps in. He finished the season with 25 tackles. He had an interception. He had a pass breakup in that win over the Georgia Bulldogs. So there you go. Debate them. Tell me I'm wrong. Let me have it. I went 2026. I went 2015-5, I went 2012-4, I went 2009-3, I went 2011-2, and then in the number one spot, I went with 2017. Some non-national championship safety rooms that we alluded to a little bit earlier. 2007, you had Rashad Johnson with a team high, 94 tackles and six interceptions. 2008, you had Rashad, once again, 89 tackles, five interceptions, three against LSU in Baton Rouge, returned two of his interceptions that season for touchdowns. Justin Woodall had 47 tackles, four interceptions, a TD, on one of those. And Mark Barron you had as a true freshman in 2008. Again, as I said earlier, a lot of love for that 2008 room as well. 2010, Mark Barron, 75 tackles, three interceptions, six pass breakups. Lester, 52 tackles, eight interceptions. Will Lowry in 2010, 33 tackles, two interceptions. 2013, pretty star-studded, loaded room. Ha-ha, Clinton Dix, Landon Collins, uh, for that group, Vinny Sanceri, as you might recall, that was a big injury in 2013. Vinny went down with the knee injury while covering a kickoff against Arkansas in week seven. And that was a tough blow for that defense uh, in 13. Still had Landon and ha-ha Clinton Dix. 2014, a huge year for Landon Collins. 102 tackles, three interceptions, seven pass breakups. Nick Perry back there. Gino Matias-Smith back there in 2000. 
and 14. 2016, Eddie Jackson, uh, before the injury, had the injury against A&M in week eight. We talk about sort of defining injuries for not only a unit, but also a team in general. That was certainly one for a 2016 team that came up a second short of a national championship. Ronnie Harrison and Minka Fitzpatrick. How about those three? That's not bad, huh? Your top three guys, Eddie Jackson, Ronnie Harrison, Minka Fitzpatrick in 2016. 2018, you had Deontay Thompson, Xavier McKinney. They were both top three tacklers for that 2018 team. Uh, Both had two interceptions that season. So some really good groups, some really good groups when you consider the safety rooms for Nick Saban, not only in national championship seasons, but non-national championship seasons as well. In closing today, we send along our condolences to the family of former UA running back Santonio Beard, who passed away over the weekend at the age of 41. The outpouring of emotion by his former teammates on social media, it tells you how Santonio Beard was regarded by those he spent time with during his time at the Capstone. Of course, that spent during the earlier part of the century. As a player, when I think about Santonio Beard, a couple of memorable performances come to mind very quickly. For me, 2001 Auburn, the Iron Bowl down on the Plains is chief among those memories. Santonio ran for 199 yards in that game, two touchdowns in Alabama, surprising 31-7 thumping of the Auburn Tigers at Jordan-Hare Stadium. He also had the five-touchdown game against Eli Manning and the Ole Miss Rebels back in 2002. Uh, That was a thumping, 35-point win over Ole Miss. Again, though, first and foremost, love and light to San Antonio's family, friends, teammates, and coaches. And with that, we'll call it a show for the latest edition of the Bama Online Podcast. We thank you once again for joining us here on the pod and, of course, at BamaOnline.com as well. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Bama Online Podcast? Simple as a click or two. Wherever you consume podcasts, you're going to find the Bama Online Podcast. If you'd leave us a rating and a review, that would help us out tremendously as well. Travis Ryer thanking you once again. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll talk again real soon. So long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.